book by that title, With Christ in the School of Prayer. And so Jesus will be our guide. He'll be our instructor as he teaches us on prayer. I I don't know how many of you would say you feel confident in your prayer life, but statistically, survey after survey show that this is one area that people feel woefully inadequate. They feel like their prayer life is very impotent. They feel like there's just guilt associated with prayer. I know I should pray more. I know I should pray more specifically. I know I should pray differently, but I don't, and I've just sort of settled into where I pray. But one word that hopefully has come to surface this morning in your mind as we've sung I don't know if you noticed a pattern or a theme. The word is foundation. Everybody say that word, foundation. If we don't have a a connection to the power source, we're missing the foundation. The foundation of our lives must be Jesus Christ, and he's given us opportunity through prayer to be connected to him. And so as we think about prayer, I don't want this to induce more guilt. I want it to liberate you from guilt. I want you to see the full and free expression that we can have that would give us a firm foundation for everything else we do. A man was talking to his friend, and they were discussing biblical things, and they were talking back and forth, and he sort of looked down his nose at his friend, and he said, you don't know the Bible very well. He said, I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And the man looked at him sort of indignant, and he said, well, of course I do. And he said, I'll bet you 10 bucks you don't know the Lord's Prayer. If you can recite the Lord's Prayer, I'll give you $10. So his friend said, okay, fine, you're on, I'll take that bet. cleared his throat, looked at his friend almost indignantly and said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord, help me out, my soul to take. And his friend said, ha, and just kind of laughed. Reached into his pocket and pulled out $10 and said, I didn't think you'd know it. A lot of people think they know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. On earth as it is in heaven. But give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. But lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You didn't need the screen. You didn't need to read it out of your Bible. You've got that committed to memory. This is the go-to prayer. It is recited at sporting events. It's recited in huddles and locker rooms. It's recited at school and civic and cultural events, community events. It's one of those prayers that's just well-known. People all around see it. But what I want us to do for the next several weeks as we finish out the month of March, I want us to walk through this prayer, not even line by line, but almost word for word. I just want us to, to wring out of it some truth that you and I can grow through and grow from. It's, it's interesting to me as we enter with Christ into this school of prayer, think about it. In Luke's rendition, I've asked you to turn to Matthew, that's where we'll study, but in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, he said that he started it out this way in in chapter 11, verse 1 of the book of Luke, the disciples looked at him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus did not teach his disciples how to preach. 
Jesus did not teach his disciples how to teach. Jesus did not teach his disciples how to cast out demons. He did not teach his disciples how to heal. In fact, they didn't ask him to teach them any of those things. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. We see the power that you have. We see the connection and the intimacy that you have with God the Father. We see this connection you have, and we want that too. Jesus, would you teach us to do what you are doing? Would you show us what it is to pray like that? And Jesus gave to them and to us through the Holy Spirit capturing the Word of God for us what we call the Lord's Prayer. I don't like to call it the Lord's Prayer because actually this is more of a model prayer. I like to call it the Disciples' Prayer. This is not a prayer that Jesus could actually pray. Why would you say that, Pastor? Well, one of the things he says is forgive us our debts or our trespasses. And Jesus never needed forgiveness. So he was not saying this is the prayer that I pray and I want you to pray like me. No, what he was saying is this is a pattern for you to follow. This is not just a prayer for you to recite. It's not just rote memorization. Many of you prayed that or or at least said that. You weren't probably even praying. You were just speaking out of rote memorization. But you can speak that because you've heard it from early on. But few people actually understand and know what this model prayer is giving to them by way of a pattern. And so what I want us to do today is to look really at the first phrase or two. And as we consider it together, I think we'll begin to glean some things about our prayer life. And hopefully it will relieve some stress, relieve some guilt, hopefully uh, alleviate some anxiety in your life. So when they ask that question, Lord, teach us to pray. We come to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, and it starts very simply, pray like this. So he's not saying pray these words, but pray this way. When you pray, it says in Luke, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Do not yield us to temptation or let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And he goes on, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So he connects our actions with the actions of the Father. That's an important step in this whole process of praying. I want us to pray together and ask for God to illuminate to us truth from this prayer. Let's pray. In fact, why don't you voice this prayer? Not, in, not out loud, but in your heart. Lord, speak to me now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus started out by telling them how not to pray. If you back up a verse, it's kind of interesting. Look at verse 8 with me for just a second. He says very pointedly, uh, well, in fact, let's back up to verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. It's, It's just babbling or rambling, repetitive words. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Isn't it interesting that we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and we do it mindlessly. Maybe, just maybe, that attitude has infected the way that we approach what Jesus told us to pray. And we say, well, Jesus said pray this way, so I'll just say the words. Maybe we're just babbling. But he goes on and he says, don't be like them. Your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. 
It's kind of interesting that that shows to us a very important question that many of us have asked. We say, well, if God knows everything anyway, why in the world should we pray? Well, I think we pray because God commanded it. God commanded it, and prayer ultimately changes us, not God. And so he told us to pray because prayerlessness, and we won't have anything on the screen, so I want you to focus in. I'll give you some thoughts to maybe jot down. Prayerlessness is the ultimate sign of independence and arrogance. Prayerlessness says, I don't need you, God. When I pray, I'm saying, God, I don't understand. I don't need, I don't have uh, the, the wisdom to get through what I need. I don't have the answer to my problem. I don't have the resource for this difficulty or this circumstance. I need you. Prayer and dependence go hand in hand. Prayerful dependence ought to be a mark of the life of every believer. Jesus was prayerfully dependent on the Father. He said, I can do nothing except that which the Father has shown me. Oftentimes, Jesus would find himself retreating from the crowds and moving away from all of the noise around him. Sort of like last week, we said he would put his life on airplane mode. I'm going to focus in on one connection and drown out all of the others. And you and I need to do that today. We need to say, Lord, I need you. And prayer is the connection that gets us to that place. That's why the disciples said this. Why would they say, teach us to pray? Because they saw what an impact it had in his life. This prayer is so unique. It's it's really not Jesus to pray. Again, he's teaching us how to pray. It's structured in a unique way, and I want us to think about this for just a moment. It's structured in two halves. The first half is a focus on God, and then the next half is a focus on us. Think about that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. All of the first half is all about God. And then it turns toward us. It turns toward our own needs. It very simply says, uh, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. So it's, all, it's focused on God and then us, but it uniquely turns back to God at the end, and it says with a worshipful statement of clothing, uh, closing, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory forever and ever. So it's God, us, God. We're sandwiched in between. It starts and it ends with God. Sometimes our prayers start with us, and when they do, we're starting in the wrong place. We're starting with what we need, what we want, what we desire. When we start with a focus on him, it will lead us to a place of saying, God, my life is in this circumstance. I need your help. And we can address those things, and it always flows back to a place of worship. God, because of what you have done and because of who you are, it will be done. I'm so grateful for that. Because God knows something doesn't mean that he will always act on it. He said, your father already knows. So why should we pray, Pastor? Why should I lift those things if God already knows them anyway? If God's already going to do what he's going to do? Well, the amazing mystery is that God works in and through our prayers, and prayers do move the hand of God. He allows his children to request of him things. It's seen all throughout Scripture, and we have power there. What God can do, prayer can do, because prayer can move the hand of God. Of God. When he says these words, your father knows what you need before you ask, it's not an informational session. Have you ever heard somebody pray and it sounded like they were telling God what he needed to do? Have you ever heard somebody pray and they were preaching a sermon? Have you ever heard somebody pray and you go, is he talking to me or is he talking to God? I've heard people do that. 
Have you ever heard somebody that would, would you know, feel like they, they would just put on a public spectacle in prayer? It amazes me when you ask somebody at times to pray in an event, they feel like they need to read scripture or sing a song or give some kind of uh, demonstration. And he says, don't make it a public display. You see, when we make it a public display, we make it about us. Now, some of you would say, okay, pastor, I don't ever want anyone to call on me to pray again in Sunday school class or in a service because Jesus said, go to your prayer closet, close the door and pray in private. What Jesus is saying is not that we can't pray publicly together. In fact, there's great, uh, uh, great priority of that and great precedent for us to pray together. But he's saying is there must be a relationship. Prayer is always started with this relationship between us and the Heavenly Father. And if you don't have that intimate, private prayer life, then you'll never have public power. In fact, he says that, go to your prayer closet and pray, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you in public, in open. So, I believe that the church of today is impotent in many ways because we've got prayerless Christians. We've got prayerless pastors. We've got prayerless deacons, prayerless Sunday school teachers. We know enough information that we can talk the talk and we can go through the motions, but we've not come to a place of dependence where we cried out and said, God, if you don't come through, we're through. Churches today will be littered with emptiness. There'll be many who will saturate churches with their absence because nobody prayed for the power of God to fall upon them and to bring them. It's one of those things where when we see what happened in the early church, it ought to lead us to a pattern. Think about this. They prayed for 10 days and then Peter stood up and preached for 3 minutes or 10 minutes and and thousands got saved. Today, we'll preach for 10 days And we'll pray for three minutes and two will get saved. We've missed the foundation. And I believe that we're going through the motions in our families and we're going through the motions in our own individual lives in such a tragic way that we have missed it. Satan called together his demons for a convention. A friend sent me this essay and it hit home with me. Listen to these words. Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to the demons, he said, We can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from expressing biblical values, but we can do something else. We can keep them from forming an intimate, continual experience with Christ. If they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church. Let them have their Christian lifestyles, but steal their time so they cannot gain the experience that they need with Christ. That is what I want you to do. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining vital connection throughout their day. One of the demons piped up and said, how can we do this, our Lord and Master? He said, keep them busy with non-essentials of life. Invest in unnumbered schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 and to borrow, borrow, borrow. Convince them to work six or seven days a week and 10 to 12 hours a day so they can afford these lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children and their grandchildren. As their families fragment, soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear his still small voice. 
entice them to play the radio and Spotify, entice them everywhere they drive to keep out, keep drowning music in the background to drown out the voice of the Lord, to keep the TV alive and the DVR going and CDs constantly in their homes, fill their coffee tables with magazines and newspapers of worthless interest. Pound their minds with news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving moments with billboards and social media. Flood their mailboxes and email with junk, sweepstakes, and every kind of newsletter and promotion. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their vacations exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. And when they gather for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so they will leave with souls unfilled. Let them be involved in evangelism. Yes, the devil said those words, but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Christ. Soon they'll be working in their own strength, sacrificing their own health and their own family unity for the good of the cause. It was a quiet convention. The demons laughed and said, all these things we've already done. The church of today is so distracted that prayer is snuffed out. We've heard preaching. We've heard teaching. We know all of the stuff. The need of this hour is for you to connect your heart to God. I want to share with you just from my heart, really kind of divert from script if I can there's three words that came to mind in the first phrase of the Lord's prayer or the model prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name let's start with our father he's an our father kind of God not my father we've spent so much time worried about my personal profession of faith my own personal savior my own personal relationship with Jesus that we've lost sight of the fact that God wants this to be a family deal that he is our father everybody say our father with me our father you see you need me and I need you and there's a community connection there a communal connection a family connection Tony Evans said it this way you ain't no only child some of you are acting like it, though. You ever been in a home where one kid acted like they were the only child? Don't point at them if they're here. If it's your brother or your sister and you need to repent of your you know, bitterness toward them right now, you can do that, too. My family, my, my brother and my sister had the nerve to call me the golden child. They said that I was the one that got all of the preferential treatment being the baby in the family. I've told my brother often this statement that I would come home and my mom would put on the feast. And, you know, he said, there we go again. We're killing the fatted calf because the golden child's come home. And I said, do you not get to partake of all that that meal provides? Do you not get to eat good food every time I come home? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, well, you can shut up and say thank you. How about that? <laughs> you, you can be bitter or you can be better. You need to get over it and just eat. Sit down and, and be quiet. Well, for all of us, if we act like we're the only child, we create family disturbance. God has a community plan for us, and you act like an only child when you skip church. You act like an only child when you don't plug into Sunday school. You act like an only child when you don't bring your family to the table. You need to bring them together. Wednesday nights for us here at Hardy Street is one of the most dynamic times because we study together and we pray together, and I want to encourage you to make a commitment to be here. I want to make a, a strong appeal to you to say, I want to plug in because I'm not an only child, and there is a community dynamic. And even in Jesus' prayer, when he says, our 
Father. He's saying to us, the family matters. Let's keep going word by word. Our Father. What a great picture. Some of you may have had an absent father or an abusive father. Some of you may have had a great father. But you don't need to judge God based on your earthly father. What you need to do is judge your earthly father based on God. God is the ultimate heavenly father that we all have. I've told this story before in my very first pastorate, my very first Father's Day. I was so excited and I was going to preach about the love of God being a father, a protector, a provider. He is the one that leads and guides and gives stability to our family. God is our Heavenly Father. That was the title of my sermon. When I closed my Bible that day, I anticipated that the choir would dump Gatorade on me. I was like, I won that day. That was a great sermon. Wonderful. Walking out the back door, a young lady looked at me and said, if God is a father, I hate God too. She'd been abused most of her early life. And over the course of time, I had the beautiful opportunity to share with her that God is the father that she never had here on earth. God reveals himself to us as father. And he says that when we pray, we are to pray our father. You have to pray in relationship. You have to pray in a connection there. That is so fundamental and so critical for you and for me to see that Jesus tells us how not to pray. Don't babble. Your father already knows what you need, but pray to him this way. Father, Daddy, God, let me give you this. Prayer is relational communication with God. Write that down. Prayer is simply relational communication. Prayer is the mechanism God established for the relationship. I I love this quote. Prayer draws heaven into history and it draws eternity into time. When you pray, you reach into heaven and heaven is brought into our world. So the disciples said, Jesus teaches to pray and he gave them this model. Focus on God, your heavenly father. And when you do, in that relational connection, the beauty is that it's not information that you're giving to him, but he's acting on what you share with him. God has knowledge of everything. He is omniscient. But some things he will not act upon unless there is relational communication. He's saying, I know what you need. I just want to know if you want me or you just want a solution to the need. And prayer becomes the answer to that question. Prayer is making requests of lawful and needful things. It's pleading our case or our cause before the courts of heaven. It's seeking help beyond our power. It's a personal, let me, let me say it this way, prayer is a personal plea to a personal God based on his revealed will. You see, we get this so mixed up. Over and over again in the Bible, it says, pray for anything in my name that you desire, and it will be done for you. What does he mean by that? Praying in his name means aligned with his will. You pray for somebody to get saved, God will answer that prayer. You pray for your one, and God will supernaturally open up opportunities. But we are living impotent lives because we're not aligning our lives with his will. We're going about our will. We're doing what we want to do. And we're calling it holy. My fear is that we will wake up one day and realize how far we have drifted, even in our religious state. Satan said to the demons, let them come to church. Let them sing to the top of their lungs. Let them feel moved emotionally, but do not let them connect with Christ. It's important for us to see this. Jesus says here and in Luke, pray this way. 
oftentimes Jesus says, when you pray. Never do we see Jesus saying, if you pray. You need to write this down somewhere. Prayer is a command. Prayer is not a suggestion. Prayer is not offered as an option. Prayer is not just a a potential. Prayer is a command. And he says, when you pray, the word makes that clear. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, the Bible says this. When you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And when you find me, he says there, I will release you from all of your captivity. I will bring you out. Let me tell you this. It is impossible to experience liberty in the spirit with half-hearted praying. You need to seek the Lord with everything that you've got. Unless you call upon the Lord with all of your heart, half-hearted prayers rejected. He says, call unto me with all of your heart. Cry out to me, seek me with your whole heart, and you will find me. If you look wholeheartedly, you'll find me, and I will be found by you, and I will end your captivity. So we pick back up in verse 9. Pray like this in this framework. Our Father, it's communal, it's relational, who art in heaven. Let me give you the second word. In fact, let me just break this down. Three words that you need to jot down. Relationship, citizenship, and worship relationship citizenship and worship it's tied to these very couple, first couple of verses and we're we're just about done but i want you to see this cuz i want to leave you with a challenge this morning It's all about relationship with God and with others. You see, the body of Christ is called the body for a very unique reason. We belong together. If part of my body is not attached, then that's a problem. If I lose an earlobe or a finger, I'm in trouble. I mean, that just needs to be attached to my body. And so for you and for me, relationally, we need to be connected to one another and connected to our Father. Just those two words. This week, if you'll say those two, our Father, just pause right there. And every time I say our Father, I begin to think of your faces. And I say, you know what? The our part of it is my church family. The our part of it is people that I've literally in the past several months gone to the hospitals to see and gone into their homes or gone to the graveside with many of you. And we've mourned together and we've wept together. But when I pray our Father, it ought to lead me to such a place of union with you. There's power there, our Father. And so we move from that place, our Father in heaven. That's the citizenship. Philippians 3.20 says this, our citizenship is in heaven. You see, we need to understand who we're praying to. If we really grasp that, it would change how we pray. If we really understand that there is one true God. There are not myriads of gods. There's not a pantheon of gods that we just choose one from. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is God. The Bible says that the God who answers by fire will be God in the test on Mount Carmel. And God answered by fire. And he still answers by fire today. And yet we're smokeless in many of our churches. The fire of heaven hasn't fallen because we've not made an altar of our hearts and said, Lord, clean out those things that are keeping the fire snuffed out. Oh, that the fire of heaven would fall because you and I were prayerfully dependent. Relationship citizenship you're praying to God by the way this is an interesting phrase in the language of the Bible when it says our father in heaven 
It's in the heavens. It has dual meaning. Yes, he is in heaven, the place of his eternal abode. Yes, he's in the place where it says heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Yes, he is there, but God is not in a galaxy far, far away. It literally means in the heavens. It means that he is all around us. He is as close as a prayer away. He's as close close as the breath you breathe. He is close as a word spoken. In fact, when you think of the name Yahweh, it, it had no vowels, no or no consonants. It's all vowels, and it's hard for them to even get in mind how to say it, but Yah, it, it's almost breathing, Yahweh. And, and it's saying when you breathe the name of God, He is there. The name of God is powerful, and it's near. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. So for you and for me, we need to connect to this. Our Father in heaven means we are relationally connected to one another we're connected to our father and he is the king of this glorious kingdom and we are citizens of that kingdom and we have authority there I've shared this story with you before. We were coming back from a mission trip, traveling through the Middle East. We stopped in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi is one of five airports in the world where the United States has claimed sovereign citizenship in the airport. And we rounded the corner. We still had a 15-hour flight to go. We were tired. We'd already flown about 10 hours. And we had a 15-hour flight to go. And we rounded the corner. And standing there, just before we walked through the area of customs that we would normally do on this side of the soil we would have done in America was a marine and he saluted us and he said welcome home I wanted to run up and hug him but running up toward a U.S. Marine is probably not a good idea so I I I thought better of that and just saluted back I was like thank you I knew I still had 15 hours to go, but there was something about that moment. I said, I'm home. I'm safe. I'm secure. There was a huge American flag right there, and I wanted to stop and salute it and hug that Marine and and kiss the ground. I I, I held off on all of those. I just got on the plane. There's something secure there. You know, if you were overseas and you got into trouble, you could run to the embassy because the embassy has the authority of the nation. It has the authority of the president. It has the authority of the government. And when you're in another nation, if, it's has, if they have a king and you're an, a, a, a diplomat or you are uh, an ambassador for the king, you have authority to speak on behalf of the king. Well, we have the authority to speak to the king because our citizenship is in heaven. We don't think in terms of kings and kingdoms because we have a democracy. We have a republic. But when you think of kings and kingdoms here, our citizenship is in heaven. So when you pray, our Father, relationship, in heaven, citizenship. And then it leads to worship. Hallowed be your name. May your name be set aside. May your name be glorious. May your name be worshiped. May it be praised. May my life bring you glory. May the way that I live. Now, I want to give you one quick link. HardySBC.net slash quiet time. I want to challenge you to go there today. If you don't have a computer, come see me sometime this week and I'll print out what I've got for you. I've got a very simple prayer guide. It will help you. It takes about 18 minutes a day to pray this way. Focus on God and then focus on your needs. It's a simple prayer guide. If you're here Wednesday, I'll hand them out on Wednesday morning and Wednesday night. But I want to encourage you, go there and spend time with the Lord this week. Recognizing that your lack of prayer is arrogance before the Lord. Recognize that your lack of prayer is is arrogance toward us because he says our father so I'm asking every person here to take a chance maybe you've never prayed before maybe you're far from God now and you've never even tried or thought of trying to pray let me just say this I dare you 
Because the Bible is clear in one place about this matter of prayer, probably more than any other. In Jeremiah, verse 30, in chapter 33, verse 3, it says this, Call unto me, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Call on him. I dare you. I dare you to pray this week. I dare you to begin looking and saying, God, how can I pray? The little workbook that I want to give you there at hardysbc.net slash quiet time very simply has some exercises on how to worship him, how to venerate him. Just some exercises on they'll guide you in prayer. It'll help you out. And I want to challenge you. Let's become a, a, a church of prayer. Let's become a house of prayer. Let's seek the Lord together and watch what he will do. Don't you want to stand before the throne of God one day and say miraculous things happen in and through that church? Miraculous things happen in my family and through my family. Miraculous things happen as we saw people saved and addictions broken and marriages rejoined and lives turned around and God glorified here in the Pine Belt and around the world because we decided, I'm going to take God at his word and I'm going to pray. And I'm not just going to babble on these words, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and we'll be done. No, I'm going to pause. Our Father relationship, who art in heaven, citizenship, hallowed be your name, worship. Let's pray. Father, lead us to be a praying people. Forgive us of our arrogant independence. God, if there's someone here today that needs to trust you. Oh, that you would call them out from darkness to light, from death to life, from hopelessness and despair to hope and joy. And God, for those of us who have walked with you but have unplugged from the power source, who walked away from the firm foundation, would you help us today to reestablish that connection that we would seek you with our whole heart, knowing that you've promised we would find you and you would set us free. God, I pray that our church will be free spiritually. In Jesus' name, amen.